Praise the Lord. Will you turn with me to Luke chapter 2, verse 52. Luke chapter 2, verse 52. And it says, And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature, and in favor with God and men. Please also turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. Ephesians 2, verse 10. And it is written, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And also turn with me to Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. Philippians 2, verse 5, where it says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Shall we pray? Gracious Father, we thank you for this time, Lord, when we again come into your presence. Father God, I pray, Lord, that what you have for us today, Lord, you will deliver, Lord Father, and it shall enter into our deepest beings, Lord. Even as you speak, speak to our inner hearts, Lord, that we will receive your word with all humility, Lord Father, with an attitude of change and correction, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that you are going to speak. And even as you speak, we are ready to listen. We thank you. We praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. There was once a five-year-old boy whose name was Sam, and he had a dog called Paddy. Now, that boy, Sam, loved this dog mightily. Now, one day while Sam was at school, the dog was run over by a truck and it died. Now, Sam's mother was worried how he would take it. Rather than wait for him to come in the school bus, she decided to pick him up from school and slowly break the news to him over some ice cream. And so the mother went to school, picked up Sam, and they went to an ice cream parlor where she, had, where she bought him some ice cream. And as they were eating the ice cream, the mother told Sam that Paddy had just died. Now Sam said, oh, that's sad. Now he continued to eat his ice cream. Now Sam and his mom then drove home with the mother wondering, how her son had taken the news so calmly. Anyway, she was just grateful for his reaction. A little after reaching home, the mother suddenly heard Sam screaming and howling and crying in anguish. He rushed up to her and said, Paddy's dead. And he was really inconsolable. The mother tried her best to console him, wondering at his current reaction. Sometime later, she asked him, how come you were so calm when I told you the news of Paddy's death in the ice cream shop? Sam answer, answered, I thought you said Daddy. <laughs> that little story tells us the balance of Sam's life. Who was more important in Sam's life, his dog Paddy or his daddy? Obviously, there's been some kind of an imbalance in the relationship between the son and the father, and maybe that whole family is dysfunctional, whatever. 
The World Health Organization, WHO, defines health as complete and perfect balance in physical, mental, and spiritual well-being. This is the definition uh, of the World Health Organization for health. So it runs that anything that is not in complete or perfect balance in our physical state or our mental state or our spiritual state is defined as a disease. The human body is meant to be in perfect balance. According to Psalm 139 verse, four, verse 14, it says that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. And if we go back to Genesis chapter 1, we read in verse 27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And in verse 31 of Genesis 1, we read, Then God saw everything that he had made, and indeed, it was very good. So the evening and the morning were the sixth day. So basically, we were meant to be perfect. No, let me modify that statement. We are meant to be perfect. In our physical body, in our mental state, and in our spiritual state. Why are we meant to be perfect? Because the God of perfection created us. And he did not create an imperfect being. He created a man and a woman, you and me, who is perfectly balanced in every aspect of our life. It was not God's plan. It is not God's plan that we should have imbalance at any point of time. Pastor Munim, I just mentioned, Enoch walked in the midst of a wicked generation. The whole world might have been imbalanced. It might have been... Uh, wicked. But there was one man, Enoch, who walked with God. He was in synchrony with God. He was in balance with God. There was no problem in him relating to God. So why is it that today things go wrong? Either in our physical, our mental or spiritual states. I leave the physical and mental for some other day and time, but I'll just focus on some aspects of our spiritual decline. And so the title of today's message simply is Perfect Balance. Let me repeat the question. Why do things go wrong in our spiritual state? And why do we end up with spiritual disease? And finally, why do we end with spiritual death? The answer, very simply, is a lack of balance. Selwyn Hughes, that famous author, wrote this before his death in 2006. He writes this, God loves balance as much as the devil hates it. The art of Christian living is to find that perfect balance. John Stott, a minister in the Church of England and a famous author, writes this, 
It seems there is no pastime the devil enjoys more than that of tipping Christians off balance. Now the question is, how do we determine that perfect balance? The answer once again is very simple. All we need to do is look at Jesus Christ. Jesus had perfect balance in everything that he did. And there's a whole variety of things that we can look at. But I'm just going to focus on a couple of things. For example, he renounced the world, but he embraced its people. He renounced the world, but he embraced its people. John 17 verse 14 says this. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Jesus did not want to have anything to do with world systems. He came to overthrow world systems. He did not come to approve and put a stamp of approval on systems that exist on the earth. He came to renounce everything that the earth has to offer. And yet he said something else in Luke 19 verse 10. This is what he says. For the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which was lost. So Jesus Christ came to save you and me and every other person out there in the world. That's what he came for. Jesus Christ did not come to save any of the political systems or any of the cultural systems or any of the other systems, old, new or yet to come. He did not come for any of those things. He did not come for anything that the world has to offer. He came for the sinner. And that's his balance. He was very clear that he hated sin, but not the sinner. How often do we make these statements? And I am guilty of making this statement last week. When my wife told me about one particular couple... I said, I really don't care what happens to them. And then I said, no, I, uh, that's wrong. That's a wrong statement. Because I knew it was wrong. The statement I made was wrong. Jesus Christ came so that every person could be saved. He cared for everyone. You name that person. Think of the greatest terrorist that you can. Think of the greatest the person who has caused the greatest chaos in your life. Jesus came for that person. And you and I have no right today to say, I don't care about that person. Because if we stay, make that statement, we are guilty of saying that what Jesus came for has no meaning. Jesus renounced the world. He embraced its people. You and I need to find that balance. That we don't hate the person who is doing harm to us. We may hate the attitude. We may hate that character. But we don't hate the person. Jesus embraced the person. You and I need to do that. We also see that Jesus was a meek man. But he was also an assertive man. Meekness today is often associated with weakness. 
But that's not what the Bible says. In Matthew chapter 27, in Mark chapter 15, in Luke chapter 23, we read of how meekly Jesus chose to surrender to his Jewish captors before hanging on that cross. They dragged him, they spat on him, they, they, they whipped him, they hurt him, they put a crown of thorns on his head, he did not respond. They accused him wrongly, he took it. Today, if such an accusation is made against any one of us, the, the interpretation that will come, if we do not respond to that, the worldly interpretation that will come is, he cannot respond because he knows all these accusations are true. And that is why he has no defense. And that is probably the same thinking that those Jewish people had at that particular point of time. Here was a man that they are accusing of all kinds of things. And he stands there meekly. Does not respond. Jesus knew of course what he was in for. He knew the purpose of his coming. But he did not respond. He stood there, took all the insults that the world gave him at that particular point. He was a meek man when he chose to be a meek man. But at the same time, there's a time when he was assertive. There are many times when he was assertive. And just to give you one example, in John 2, 15 and 16, and in Matthew 21, 12 and 13, we have the same story. It is the place where we read of Jesus making a whip. And driving out money changers and, do, and those doing business. And even overturning their tables. And he did not just act. He told them, get out of the house of God. Get out of my father's house. You have, you have made it a den of thieves. He was not worried about his life then. If somebody calls you a thief, would you just take it and uh, leave it? you would probably go and catch him by the cuff of his neck and say, take those words back. Jesus did not bother about that. He said, you have made this a den of thieves. And he was assertive. There is no recorded statement, the Bible, which says that they brought the tables back. They continued doing their money business there. So when he chose to be assertive, he was assertive. That's the balance. Now when I talk about this balance, the need for perfect balance. Please do not assume that I am asking you to balance your good characteristics with your bad characteristics. Or your weaknesses with your strengths. Not at all. The issue for any Christian is for us to identify our strengths. And know how to apply those strengths with control. Or to apply those strengths in a balanced way. As for our negative characteristics, it is for us to identify them and take them to God and ask Him to remove them from our lives, not to balance them in our life. Okay, so please do not assume that perfect balance is a balance between your good and your bad, between your evil and the saint in you. No, it is not that balance at all. The balance that we are talking about is taking your strengths and knowing how to apply them properly. Just to give you some examples. In the Mind of Christ course, there is a chapter titled, 
virtues of godly wisdom. It's chapter 4. It describes Christ-like virtues and its satanic opposite. But it also gives you a perversion, a compromising perversion that we often believe is good. We often fall back on that perversion and say that that's good enough. But that is the trap of the devil. For example, it talks about honesty as a godly virtue, as a strength. So if you consider that honesty is a virtue that's there in you, that's your strength. That's great. Its opposite is lying. The satanic opposite is lying. Dishonesty. Okay? The perversion is brutal frankness. Just because I'm honest and I see that you are not doing something well, if I'm brutally frank about it in the midst of a congregation, catching one of you and calling you by name and telling you, you are an adulterer, this is not the way you need to work. That is brutally frank and it may be the truth. I may be absolutely honest in my statement. However, I've probably lost you. You see, that's the perversion. I can simply say that that's the truth. I'm mentioning what is, is there anything wrong in what I'm saying? No, it isn't. That is the truth. Everybody knows it. But the issue is, the way I mention it, the way I'm saying it, is not applying my strength. I'm applying a fact, but I'm not applying my strength. Why do I say that? When Jesus Christ met with the Samaritan woman, when you read John 4, verses 1 to 26, we have the story of Jesus Christ meeting with the Samaritan woman. He knew that she was an adulterer. Did he address that issue of adultery there? Did he accuse her of adultery? That's the truth. She was it. He said, I want to meet your husband. And then she said, no, uh, I don't have a husband. Then he said, well, you're speaking the truth. The one you're living with now is not your husband. See, the way he brought it out, he never accused her of adultery at that point of time. He brought the facts. But the words were tailored to the situation. He did not talk to her in the presence of the disciples. He did not talk to her after she brought the villagers and made her embarrassed. No, she, he didn't. So this is what we talk about, a balanced approach. Truth was that she was an adulterer. The perfect balance that Jesus brought into the picture was he delivered the truth, but he delivered it in a way that was palatable and acceptable to her. And another instance when another woman was brought who was again caught in the act of adultery and the accusers were there, right there, accusing her of adultery, Jesus kept quiet till everybody went away from there. He still did not say that she was an adulterer. He said, don't do this anymore. He knew that she knew the truth. All the people who were standing there accusing her were telling the truth. There was nothing wrong in what they were saying. But the way they said it 
was different from the way Jesus said it. She could not take their words, she would take Jesus' words. And that is what we talk about when we talk about balance your strengths. It was Oswald Chambers who said, he's a Christian writer of devotionals, and this is what he says, an uncontrolled strength is a weakness. Our strength, if not carefully monitored, controlled, and balanced, can become a stumbling block to others and to ourselves. Just because you think that you have got a better perspective of something than your brother, does not mean that you have the right to go and bombard him or her with that fact. Okay, you need to be able to balance it, you need to be able to bring it out in the right way. Jesus was a man of words, and yet he was a man of action. And I'm going to focus on this particular thing. Now chapters 5, 6 and 7 of Matthew are all about the mass teachings of Jesus. He taught a lot. He spoke a lot. In different situations, in different environments, he spoke to different people. He was a man of words. And yet we also read, because this is what Peter says in Acts 10 verse 38. When he describes Jesus, he says, How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. So the testimony that Peter was bringing out about Jesus was that he went about doing good. So here was Jesus who was a man of words. He taught, but he also acted. If you study the history of Greek gods or the mythology of Mayan gods or the stories of Hindu gods, you will realize one thing. All these systems of religion had multiple gods. People kept inventing gods and goddesses because they saw a deficiency or an imbalance in an existing god. Let me explain this. In Greek mythology, there is a god for fire. The god of fire can create fire. But the god of fire cannot extinguish fire. And so, to extinguish the fire, the Greeks had to create the god of water. Okay, so the god of fire would create the fire and the god of water would extinguish the fire. But the problem with the god of water was that it resulted in production of floods. Because he couldn't control the stoppage of water. And so the earth was being suppressed or overcome by the water. And so the Greeks created a god of earth. The god of earth was meant to preserve and protect the earth. Now the god of earth was very good in that. But what he couldn't do was he couldn't plant. He couldn't plant plants. And so the Greeks had to then invent a god, a god of vegetation. So the god of vegetation would plant the plants and the trees would come and Everything would be there, but he could not produce the fruit. And so then the God, the, the Greeks, had to now create a new God who was the God of fertility. Okay, and so you had the God of fertility. And that's why in, in Greek mythology, if somebody did not have a child, they go to the God of fertility. Because that was the only task of that God. Very job description is very clear. You know, every God had his or her role. You put them all together, you probably have a composite God. Because probably there was still deficiency in all of that. 
When an imbalance was identified in a God, a new God had to be created to fill that void. But for us, this is not so. Hebrews 12.2 describes Jesus as the author and finisher of our faith. Revelation 21 verse 6 says that Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. The God we serve, the God we worship, the God we address as Father, is a God of total balance. It's a God who has everything. It's a God who is in charge of every situation. Our God is not an incomplete God who needs help in filling up the gaps. So we don't have to worry that we have to create gods to bring balance into our life because our God is a God of balance. Everything that he does works within a principle of balance. And we said that Jesus is a man of words, but Jesus is also a man of action. Now, and this is where the problem in the church lies today. We either talk more than we act, or we act more than we talk. We are either mighty in words, or we are mighty in deeds. But we are not mighty in acts, in words and deeds. Which is what Jesus Christ was. Luke 24 verse 19 describes Jesus as a prophet mighty in deed and mighty in word before God and the people. Where are we today? Where are you today? Where am I today? Are we people who are mighty in word? Full of talk and no action. Or are we full of action? No talk. Can't share the word. Where are we? That's the imbalance that's there in our life today. We are skewed in one side or the other side. And for that reason we quote James. Where deeds and words are all brought in. Okay? But the issue simply is that God expects us to be balanced in our words and in our deeds. Jesus Christ was mighty in words. Jesus Christ was mighty in deeds. He's not the only one. Moses is described like this in Acts 7 verse 22. He's described as a man learned in all wisdom of the Egyptians and was mighty in words and deeds. This is the way Moses is described. In the epistle of Paul to Titus, Paul writes the following. In chapter 2, verse 1, he writes, But as for you, speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine. Speak the things which are proper for you for sound doctrine. And chapter 2 is about speaking sound doctrine. Chapter 3, verse 1, Paul starts this way. Remind them to be subject to rulers and authorities, to obey and to be ready for every good work. And chapter 3 is about good works. So Paul again clearly instructs young Titus, who was going to minister into a, in a church area and that was to grow. 
Give importance to word. Give importance to deed. Okay, you need to be able to share the word. You need to be able to do what you are expected to do. So the Bible clearly tells us through examples and instructions that we need to be balanced in our words, in our deeds, and in every aspect of our life. I'm going to give you a little task now. We don't have much time, but a little task for one minute. If someone asked you to explain why you are a Christian, what would you say? I don't know how often you have been asked this question. Why are you a Christian? I don't even know whether you have been asked that question. Okay? This is not a common question as far as I can see around. But let's ask ourselves that question right now and try to answer it. Can you write down or can you think of three reasons to say why you are a Christian? You've got one minute to write your reasons. Why are you a Christian? If you know why you are a Christian, you don't need one minute. If you don't know why you are a Christian, but you are a Christian, one minute, certainly not adequate. Probably one hour is not adequate. You probably need a lot of time. But that's a question we need to answer. If somebody comes up and asks you, why are you a Christian? Now, why is it people often don't ask us this question? Why is it I haven't heard this question? Why is it people haven't come and asked me? Why are you a Christian? I work in the midst of non-Christians, here, back home. Okay. A lot of my friends are Hindu friends. Why is it they haven't asked me, why are you a Christian? Now, I realize that often the answer is simple, and that is because people don't see any difference between themselves and me. I'm just like them. They grumble about their jobs, so do you and I. They are depressed sometimes, so are you and I. They are unhappy about their money, so are you and I. They beat their spouses, so do you and I. They beat their children, so do you and I. They cheat, they lie, they are lazy, so are you and I. So in reality, what's the difference between the world out there and you and I? What the world sees in you today is not a balanced Christian, but a person who reacts in the same unbalanced way as the other person. Don't say that's the way we have to live today. Enoch lived in the midst of a wicked generation. If he could be balanced and if he could walk with God and people could see that Enoch was different why can't you and I be the Enochs today? Why should you and I just be John Doe or Jane Doe? Some unknown person. So how do we find the perfect balance in our lives? In Lamentations 3 verse 25 it is written. 
Lamentations 3, verse 25. The Lord is good to those who wait for Him, to the soul who seeks Him. And in verse 40, it says, Let us search out and examine our ways and turn back to the Lord. Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. Paul expresses it this way. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. In Jeremiah chapter 6 verse 16, the prophet writes this, Stand in the ways and see, and ask for the old paths, where the good way is, and walk in it. Then you will find rest for your souls. The answer to the question, how do we find proper and perfect balance in our lives, is quite simple. I won't elaborate. It simply is this. Search your heart. Seek the Lord. Transform your thinking. Do not be a slave to the world around you. Brothers and sisters, shall we stand and seek the face of the Lord? And even as we do so, let us ask ourselves these questions. Think about it and think for yourself, how balanced is my life? Do I use words as a substitute for deeds? Am I reluctant to open my mouth and share the gospel? What kind of impression do I make on people? Look at your life. Go over it minutely. As you stand, invite the Holy Spirit to join you. Ask Him to help you to be objective in your self-assessment. Go over your qualities. Are your virtues still virtues or have they become vices? Has your strength become stubbornness? Has your meekness become your weakness? Has your righteousness become rigidness? Just think about it, brothers and sisters. Parsani. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the word that has come from the throne. Thank you because your word has gained entrance into our lives. Our situation has had you this morning. Lord, we pray concerning every imbalance in our lives. We come before you, Father. We say, Lord, heal us today. Heal us today. Transform our lives. Transform our situations. You said we should be example unto believers in word, in conversation, in charity. Lord, in everything we should be an example. Lord, every imbalance in our lives, deal with it here this morning in the name of Jesus.
Help us to stand for the truth. Help us to stand for righteousness. Help us to stand for holiness. Help us to stand for what you represent. In the name of Jesus. Help us to say no when we are supposed to say no. In the name of Jesus. We won't fail you anymore. In the mighty name of Jesus. We take grace from here, Lord God, to progress. You said the path of the righteous is like a shining light that shines more and more until the perfect day. Lord, this word will keep us going. They will not stand against us in the name of Jesus. Father, we give you praise. We pray for your servant you have used this morning. We ask, Lord God, that you multiply grace upon his life. Upon his ministry. In the name of Jesus. And everyone under this roof this morning. I said, my God, that you will reach each and every one of us. Reach us at our level. Take us from where we are. Take us to where you want us to be. In the name of Jesus. Put your fire in our bones. In the name of Jesus. Lord, we won't fail you anymore. Lord, we will not faint. Lord, we will not fall. In the mighty name of Jesus. This one's here, you will be happy to say, these are my children, in whom I am well pleased. We will not be a disappointment to you anymore. In the name of Jesus. Thank you, mighty God. We give you praise. Cause your blessing to be multiplied. Cause grace to increase. In the precious name of Jesus. We give you praise and glory. In Jesus' mighty name we have prayed. Let's put our hands together for Jesus.